Simone, good morning, everybody. This is Eric Mann. You're on Voices from the Frontlines, your national movement-building show, Wake Up and Smell the Revolution. Happy to be in studio today. Thanks, Gary Baca, for helping me make it happen. We, so we're going to have a lot of things today. First, we are going to listen to the headline news from Amy Goodman, and then I will comment on some of the news. <clears throat> then... I'm going to do a review of, a, I think, a really cool TV show called Shrinking, uh, obviously about a therapist and psychiatrists. Uh, we're going to sing along with Ronnie uh, Spector. Sorry about her last name, but she's great. The Ronettes, Be My Baby. We're going to do a really wonderful 24-minute clip of something some of you heard last week, my conversation with death row prisoner Keith Lamar. The reason we're replaying it, and we replay it many times, is because uh, Julian Lamb and Chani Martinez and I have been listening, and of course Amy Gurdjieff, have been listening to it over and over and over again. And the amount of wisdom packed into that original 57-minute conversation is just mind-blowing. So we've we've done an excerpt of a 24-minute clip, and it's now called uh, Voices from the Frontlines Features. And the reason we're doing that is we want to see if we can get some of these features from our show on other radio shows on KPFK throughout the Pacifica uh, network and anybody else who wants to use them, you could see it off on our podcast. So with that, we're going to go and listen to Amy Goodman's headline news. Welcome to Democracy Now!, democracynow.org, The War and Peace Report. I'm Amy Goodman. U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken's meeting with Mahmoud Abbas and other Palestinian leaders in the city of Ramallah in the Israeli-occupied West Bank. Blinken's visit comes just days after the Palestinian Authority ended its security coordination with Israel following a spate of killings by Israeli forces. In the latest violence, Israeli forces shot 26-year-old Palestinian Nassim Abu Fouda in the head Monday morning at a checkpoint in the occupied southern city of Hebron. The Palestinian Ministry of Health reports so far this year Israeli soldiers and settlers have killed 35 Palestinians, including eight children and an elderly woman. On Monday, Blinken met with Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu in Jerusalem, where he reiterated U.S. support for Israel remains ironclad. Throughout uh, the relationship between our countries, uh, what we come back to time and again is that it is rooted both in shared interests and in shared values. That includes our support for core democratic principles and institutions, including respect for human rights, the equal administration of justice for all, the equal rights of minority groups, the rule of law, free press, a robust civil society. 
Many of Blinken's remarks were drawn word for word from previous State Department statements. His meeting with Netanyahu came just days after State Department spokesperson Vedant Patel refused to describe Palestinians in the West Bank as living under Israeli military occupation. In Pakistan, the death toll from Monday's suicide bombing in the northwestern city of Peshawar rose to 95 after first responders ended their rescue and recovery operation. A local official said more than 225 people were also injured the attack, which tore through a packed mosque inside a police and government compound. Most of the dead were police officers. An offshoot of the Taliban, known as the TTP, claimed responsibility for the massacre. In Iran, human rights groups are demanding authorities throw out the convictions against three young men sentenced to death for their involvement in anti-government protests that erupted in September after the death of Masa Amini in police custody. Their cases are detailed in a new Amnesty International report which denounces Iranian authorities for torturing three men and denying them a fair trial. The report describes 19-year-old Mehdi Mohammadi Fard was raped and beaten so brutally by prison guards he had to be taken to the hospital. The two Two others, 18-year-old Arshia Takhtan and 31-year-old Javad Ruhi, have also been subjected to horrific beatings in prison. The three were denied the right to choose their lawyers to fight the charges, and their hearings lasted less than an hour. President Joe Biden has informed Congress he'll end the national emergency and public health emergency declarations over COVID-19 in mid-May and will ask the federal government to treat the coronavirus as an endemic threat. The announcement comes after lawmakers repeatedly rejected requests from the Biden administration for billions of dollars in additional aid to combat the pandemic, including funding for free COVID vaccines and testing. Last year, COVID-19 remained the third leading cause of death in the United States for the third year in a row, surpassed only by heart disease disease and cancer. On average, the disease is killing more than 3,500 people per week across the United States. In Tennessee, the Memphis Fire Department's terminated two EMTs and a fire department lieutenant over their roles in the killing of Tyree Nichols, the 29-year-old African-American father who was fatally beaten by police on January 7th after a traffic stop. Memphis fire officials say an internal investigation revealed the first responders, quote, failed to conduct an adequate patient assessment of Mr. Nichols, unquote. Video shows the EMTs walking away from Tyree and leaving him on the ground as he roils in agony. Meanwhile, the Memphis Police Departments revealed a sixth and seventh officer were suspended after Tyree's killing. One of the officers, Preston Hemphill, who's white, participated in the initial traffic stop and fired his taser at Tyree. Hemphill was recorded saying, quote, I hope they stomp his ass, referring to Tyree. An initial police report filed just hours after Tyree's violent arrest shows wide discrepancies between the claims of the officers and what video from the scene reveals. The video shows no evidence Tyree tried to fight the officers or reach for their guns, as the arrest report alleges. On Monday night, residents gathered to remember Tyree in a candlelight vigil at the site of his killing. Pastor Charita McCoy helped organize the protest. Well, thank you, Amy Goodman. Uh, you know, it takes a strong stomach to try to be an organizer and a revolutionary because the world is uh, disintegrating in front of us. So I'm going to focus on just two stories of many, but the Palestine story and then the uh, Tyree Nichols to make some comments on that. 
First, Palestine, I mean, uh, I don't know. It's an, it's Part of what revolutionary organizing means is you don't really see the solution in front of your face. <clears throat> the obvious, we, we you know, at the World Conference Against Racism, we yelled, free, free Palestine, free, free Palestine. <laughs> and then they closed down the World Conference Against Racism and said the United States walked out saying that we were anti-Semitic, uh, including myself, who's a Jew, and many of the Jews were saying, free, free Palestine. So here we are 22 years later, and the same fascist, Benjamin Netanyahu, who you got to give credit is a very resourceful fascist, is back in charge of Israel because there is no left wing left in Israel. And then Blinken shows up and declares, of course, that he supports the core values of genocide and suppression of minorities and imperialism. But the biggest thing to understand is Netanyahu is more powerful than Blinken. Netanyahu is telling Blinken, are you kidding? I could get elected president of the United States before you can. You have a fascist country. Don't come in here and tell me you're killing black people all over the place. You have a million black people in prison. Stop all this human rights. I'm not for human rights. You're not for human rights. And just get out of my country. And that's why every time the United States comes to Israel, all it can do is genuflect in front of the Israeli right because the United States is a white settler state. Israel is a white settler state. What are they going to talk about? And meanwhile, the Palestinians, uh, two million of whom in Gaza are in a so-called open-air concentration camp, children being killed. There is an answer. And I want to talk about the answer when it comes to Tyree Nichols, which is at this point, coherent, consistent resistance, public education, sit-ins, forcing every institution to take a stand. That is to say, ask your uh, church, ask your synagogue, ask your union to pass a resolution saying cut off all aid to Israel, uh, allow human rights organizers to go Israel, you know that several of them who went were killed on the way. The Palestinian groups have much more coherent demands, but what I'm trying to say is we have to do Palestinian solidarity work every day. It's not a news headline. For them, it's been their life since the Nakba of 1948. Then we deal with Tyree Nichols killed by at least five black police officers with black EMTs, perhaps, and, you know, who were there consistently to kill him. Now, of course, the right wing is saying, see, 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 it's not racism. You have black people killing black people. So first of all, it is, but more fundamentally, it's a concept called national oppression. That's to say black people do not just suffer racism. They're a nationally oppressed group. They're a nation. And as an oppressed nation, it's not surprising, just as in Africa, just as in Asia, just as in Latin America, the white imperialists, the European imperialists, employ large numbers of uh, Africans to beat Africans, large numbers of black people now to beat up black people. That doesn't make it any less racism, any less racist, because the system is built on the subjugation of black people. 
So, yes, when we sue the Los Angeles MTA for racism against 500,000 bus riders, uh, 20% of whom were black and uh, 55% of whom were Latino and uh, 60% of whom were women, we had to sue Richard Alatore, who's Latino, Gloria Molina, who's Latino, Yvonne Brathwaite-Burke, who's black, Julian uh, Julian Burke, who was the CEO at the time and, and a very decent guy. Um, I'm sorry. Uh, the point I'm getting to is the police are trained to be occupiers and murderers. We have to demand to cut the LAPD by 50% and then 50% and then 50%. The Strategy Center is doing, my organization is doing a lot of work on what we call demand development because that's the point. Even if we can't get it passed, we have to ask for a 50% cut in the LAPD budget and call on Mayor Bass, who at this point has not been talking about reducing the police budget, to say that the very nature of the police is a murderous gang. We also are demanding no police in the buses and trains, no police in the schools. We have to get the police out of as many institutions as possible and cut their budget. The last point I want to make is that, no, in a white settler state, it's going to be virtually impossible to win that demand in the next five or ten years because the police are the most – there's 10,000 police. They all have a – Police Benevolent Association, every elected official is terrified of them because if they run in any way anti-police, the police are going to run pro-police candidates against them. And again, in the white settler state, the police are the most popular force along with the army. We also know that some of that ideology is in the black community itself now, in the Latino community itself. But that's, again, where the role of education takes place. So my point is, no, President Biden has asked Tyree Nichols' family to sit with him. There are a series of Democratic Party co-opters who, every time there's a murder, whether it's Barack Obama or Joe Biden, they reach out to the family there's a series of defense attorneys who always defend. There's Al Sharpton who's always going to come in and say how terrible this is. But the goal is, as Joe Biden said, I will not defund the police. I will not defund the police. So let's be very clear. Joe Biden is part of the problem. For those of us doing not police reform but police abolition work, um, if you want to work with the Strategy Center, you can reach us at info at thestrategycenter.org. Particularly, reach out to Channing Martinez, who ran on city council for no police in the schools and cut the LAPD by 50%. And just one more point. The right wing understands that you take an idea, and it may be unpopular, but you build support around it. They're not afraid to throw out the more radical proposals because they know it's going to excite the hell out of the white racist. It's also going to influence the white moderates. It's even influencing some black people. So 
if we start saying cut the police by 50% and then 50% again and 50% again, I've had talks with people in South Central, which is where I work, who say, I don't know about cutting the police by 50%. And then I say, do you want them to arrest people at traffic stops, which is just what happened? Do you want them to arrest your son? for vagrancy? Do you want them to arrest people on the train for not paying their fares? No, I don't want that, right? When somebody is, you know, when there's a car running down the highway, did you know sometimes on TV they say there are 30 police chasing them? Why do we need 30 police to chase a person who's just running away in a car? Because it's a police state. We have to undo the moral authority of the police state. And we need people in every union, in every classroom, in every church, in every synagogue, on every corner to say, not just defund the police, which is the main point, but cut the police by 50% and then 50%. Get the police out of the schools. Get the police out of the buses and trains. Where the point was, they will still be in power. But the first step is delegitimize them so people say, yes, you're in power, but we don't support you. I don't think there's as much strategic conversation going on about what is going to be the defund police movement. And I think the Strategy Center and many other groups doing this great work, we need to get together and see if we can agree on a common program that can go on all over the country. Last thing I'll say is this. The police are, by their very nature, psychopaths. Who could be attracted to this job? You wake up in the morning, you put on a gun, you put on some mace, handcuffs, billy club, 16 other weapons. You walk down the street within an unarmed society. If a kid has a BB gun, if a kid has a water pistol, you shoot him. If somebody's running away, you shoot him. But why? Because that's the job you wanted. You wanted a job to hurt people. You're a sick human being in order to take that job. And the last thing I'll say, because there's a lot of things I could do the whole show, is that 50 years ago almost I was organizing in front of, and this is Eric Mann, by the way. You're on Voices from the Front Lines, KPFK 90.7 FM in Los Angeles, 98.7 FM in Santa Barbara, streaming live on the web at kpfk.org. So this is 1965, and I'm organizing a Vietnam summer in Washington, D.C., and we find out where Lyndon Johnson's church is, and we start leafleting in front of his church, which is heavily policed. I start befriending this black policeman, and yes, it's not contradictory to talk to police. And he tells me that he's already having nightmares because when a black prisoner comes in, It's he who is told to beat the the kid up, to prove, as he says, that you're blue, not black. He uses rubber hoses and rubber mallets so that it doesn't leave the same bruise mark. And he's supervised to beat up black people to prove his loyalty. So it is a racist system. It's a system of national oppression. If you see all these celebrities, black celebrities, on the radio saying, We need a 
LAPD that's more representative. We need people like you from the community to come in. Those celebrities need to be called out because you're asking black people to come in to beat and shoot and arrest and maim black people. We're all fighting against anti-blackness in the city. It's what I do all day. This is what the Strategy Center, the Black Lives Matter does. Students deserve LA can. We're all fighting against anti-blackness in the city. And the core to anti-blackness right now is the police itself and the support from the Democratic Party. With that, Gary, why don't we take a break and we're going to come back. Yo, this is your brother Speech from the crew Arrested Development. You rocking with KPFK 90.7, Los Angeles. Peace, everybody. This is DJ Sean O, and you are listening to KPFK 90.7 FM, Los Angeles. I wanted to let you know you can check out Soundwaves Radio with host Val the Vandal and myself each and every Friday evening from 8 to 10 p.m. right here on 90.7 FM, KPFK, Los Angeles. Gary, we're going to do the, the clip now and after I introduce it. Uh, hi, everybody. So this is Eric Mann. You're back on Voices from the Frontlines, your national movement building show, Wake Up and Smell the Revolution. Um, actually, I think we'll go to the Ronettes first because just a little lighter moment until we get to Keith. Uh, oh, well, here we go. All right. We're going to sing along with the Ronettes. Be my baby. Get up and dance. Get up and sing. Needed you so And if I had a chance I'd never let you go So won't you say you love me I'll make you so proud of you We'll make them turn their head Every place we go So won't you please Be my, be my, be my little baby
This is Eric Mann. I'm the host of Voices from the Frontlines, your national movement building show. Wake up and smell the revolution. Today, we have an interview with the amazing Keith Lamar, who's been in prison since 1989. And by 1993, when the prisoner rose up at the Lucasville prison in Ohio, he was absolutely falsely charged with killing inmate as part of a complete frame up. He's now on death row. If we don't stop it, a November 16th execution date by the murderous state of Ohio. Channing Martinez and Julian Lamb and I, along with Amy Gudishev, spent an hour with Keith and then two or three hours before and afterwards to try to build a movement for this amazing man. So you'll hear my conversation Please listen to all the requests, including financial support for his last appeal. And please write to Eric at Voices from the Frontlines so we can develop a sustained movement to free and exonerate Keith Lamar. With that, let's listen to this amazing brother. Hi, Keith. How are you doing? I'm doing okay. I'm doing nope. all right. This is Eric Mann. I'm here with Channing Martinez, Julian Lamb, and of course with Amy. You're going to be on this show. This is the show, everybody. It's called Voices from the Frontlines, your national movement building show. Wake up and smell the revolution. So we're on every Tuesday at 8 a.m. on KPFK 90.7 FM in Los Angeles, streaming live on kpfk.org, all over the world, into your life, Keith, as well. You know, Amy, of course, Amy Goodage has done a great job of briefing me, as you can imagine. Mm -hmm. I just really briefly, I mean, I just want to hear your voice, but just to tell you, I was in prison for a year and a half for demonstrations against the Mm -hmm. war, and then three and a half more years probation, you know what that's like, where they can put you back at any time. Yeah. Only enough to know I have some sense, nothing compared to what you're going through. So why don't you tell our listeners more about your present and future, where your mind is right now, and we can go back and do the backstory. Yeah, yeah, that's certainly right. Um, as you may have learned from Amy, I'm scheduled to be executed in November, November the 16th, in fact. And we are right now trying to elevate the campaign, trying to um, bring awareness to my situation, uh, um, educate people about what happened to me in 1995, which is the year I was sentenced to death for crimes I didn't commit. And I've been saying it from the beginning. I mean, one of the things that I'm, one of the hardest things I've been trying to do, trying to get people to wrap their mind around the fact that you could be sentenced to death in this country for 
and you're innocent. And that the people right. that sentence you to death know you're innocent. But they the ones who have held back the evidence to prove your innocence. And it's, it's almost as if what I'm trying to do in, in trying to convince people that I'm trying to convince them that the sun doesn't rise in the morning. Because all of us have been, and include myself, uh, you know, part of the reason why I demanded a trial because I believe in justice. You know, all of us grow up here in America thinking my country, Timothy, or raising our, you know, saying the Pledge of Allegiance to the flag. I did that too, even though I grew up in poverty, even though I grew up in the ghetto. You know, I was still equally indoctrinated. So in 1995, when, you know, the state wanted me to plead guilty to crimes I didn't commit, I demanded a trial. Right. And um, that didn't go, you know, how I expected. But, you know, that was a part of my education, something that I had to learn the hard way about, you know, reality in this country. So, you know, I'm just going around, I'm educating people. I, I have a book club called Native Sons Literacy Project, which started as a way to interact with at-risk youth, quote-unquote. I don't particularly like that name, but, you know, uh, um, I, I go into the juvenile places in the beginning, at least, and um, talk to young people about the trap that has been set for them. This call is from a correction facility and is subject to monitoring and recording. And try to get them to kind of see and understand how to navigate. Um, but part of that, you know, difficult assignment is trying to convince kids not to be kids. To think, you know, above your, you know, your your, your age and your predicament, right. and try to look into the future, you know. But that's what books, you know, allow you to do. You know, fiction allow you to imagine. You know, and you know that's one of the things that I that I was trying to do. And so it has. Uh, you know, develop into a broader um, thing where I'm reading with college students, um, professors, so on and so forth. I've even taught several college classes and whatnot. And so that's the thing that I'm doing, Eric. I'm going around, I'm educating people about the criminal justice system. And lo and behold, the people who put me here 30 years ago, they didn't just do this to Keith Lamar. This is something that they did to, to, to a lot of people, a lot of black people in particular. And all those cases are now coming to to light. You know, a guy here in Ohio named um, Elwood Jones was recently granted a new trial because the same people who put me here did the same thing to him. Right. And a few weeks ago, another person who was who was in for 12 years ran into the same thing. And so now I'm not the you know the lone voice in the wilderness telling the story about these prosecutors. And these prosecutors in Cincinnati are really indicative of how the whole system works. Right. But this is, you know, something that, you know, so now, you know, um, I'm starting to, to, to kind of um, gain some ground in, 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 in telling this story. But, you know, in, in terms of my own particular case, there's a documentary um, um, in the works. There's a podcast in the works. There's an album that we've been doing. And so I'm focused daily on, on and I'm having these conversations with people like yourself. And this is a day-to-day -day grind, you know, a day-to-day -day thing. And this is how, and I was telling Amy earlier, I was speaking to her earlier. I said, you know, Amy, even with everything that we've been doing, and it's a lot. And she's been on the front line since the very beginning. You know, my campaign started off with just she and I sitting in the visiting room imagining 
you know, what could happen if we really, really, you know, try to do something righteous with our lives. Uh, I'm in awe. I just wanted to read a couple of sentences, Keith, if that's okay, from your story, just to say with no elaboration, uprising in 1993 where you did nothing, solitary confinement and death row, contaminated evidence, paid jailhouse informants, false narrative, withholding of evidence, suppressed confession of actual perpetrator, remote Ohio community, all-white jury, black juries were dismissed, and this welcome to America. Yeah, that's basically a blueprint. You know, um, it happens um, to people every day in this country, poor people, particularly people, brown and black people, um, of course. Um, yes, you know, um, it's just something that um, uh, happens that's prevalent in this um, so-called criminal justice system. Yeah, definitely. Keith, tell me how your day goes every day. Like, what's your routine? How do you go through it? What do you think about? What do you do? Well, I'm in prison, uh, obviously, and you know, there's no like cooperation. Like at any moment, what I've noticed, it can get you know, very loud in here, where we won't even be able to hear each other. Right. So you know, during those times, it's hard to write. It's hard to to read, and so I try to go to sleep, you know, by nine o'clock, so I can wake up at two, three o'clock in the morning when it's very quiet. That's why I do most of my thinking and reading and my uh, writing. And of course, you know, I'm on the phone probably four or five hours, four or five hours a day, um, talking to people, having conversations. Um, to you know, that book condemned that I wrote. Right. I wrote that book in eight months, but it was written by Amy transcribing the book over the phone because we had pictures of writing pages, sent them through the mail, but those pages never made it to her house. But, um, yeah, I get up early in the morning, man. I try to make the most out of those few quiet hours that I'm um, allotted and um, try to get as much work as I possibly can. But I have to meditate. I have to work out. I have to, you know, stick to this real rigid routine in order just to you know, to stay online. But, you know, getting back to what I was saying earlier, I told Amy, I said, even with everything we've done, Amy, doesn't necessarily mean that we're going to prevail. I say that not to be discouraging because I'm, this is, I'm living. And so that's what I call everything, getting up in the morning, you know, doing everything. That's living to me. And, you know, I'm, I, and I just wanted her, you know, I was thanking her just for being such a good friend to me in my but I just want her to know and remind her, you know, at different points along the way that, listen, you know, just having a friend like you is like hitting the lottery. You know, yes. just meeting somebody like you on this earth is like winning something, you know, really, really big. You know what well, I mean? And, and I think that's something that we have to do and, you know, kind of acknowledge amongst ourselves with each other. Because we're fighting something that's really, really bigger than us. It's a monstrosity. You know, the American uh, government and, you know, other people are engaged in similar battles. And we have to, you know, uh, stop sometimes in the heat of things to acknowledge each other's presence and our contribution. Well, I think gratitude is so important. And you both hit the lottery. You both yeah. did. You know, when I was in prison, uh, I read Soledad Brother by George Jackson. And I'm going to get you a copy of my book. Yeah. 
Comrade George's investigation into the life, political thought, and assassination of George Jackson. But he used to talk about doing a thousand fingertip push-ups in his cell. I got up to about a hundred. Uh, <laughs> I was, but I used to, you know, the working out. Tell us about the working out in your cell. I mean, George Jackson um, has been a big influence in my life as well. I may have even read the book. You know, uh, the name sounds familiar. But yeah, George Jackson. I never got up to a thousand fingertip push-ups, but I have. Um, um, done thousands of push-ups in, in a single session before. I'm 53 years old now. I'm 34 years inside. So I'm not as working out as vigorously as I was when I was in my 20s. Um, not even so much focus on the strength so much as the peace. I do yoga. I have right. yoga. And so I'm stretching. I'm trying because I'm sleeping on this bed, this concrete slab for the past three decades. And so it has uh, wrought a lot of damage to my body. And so I'm just stretching and trying to, um, let's just say, you know, I do get my life back and I am one day walking on the other side of, uh, of this situation. I like to be able to enjoy whatever life that would be that, that is left for me. And so I take care of myself as best I can. So, sure. Work, yeah, with God. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Let me ask you about your political development. Channing was asking mm -hmm. this question. Prison is, a, is often a university of revolution, and there's a lot of brilliant prisoners in there, a lot of books, a lot of intellectual life. What was your development, like, even into the present? Who are some of the political thinkers who have shaped your philosophy and your outlook? Well, George Jackson, as I mentioned, um, had a big impact on me. Um, Angela Davis, of course, Masada um, Shakur. Definitely, yeah. um, Malcolm X, you know, Ruben Herbert King Carter, um, Tom Tomsky, um, Scott Lynn, um, a historian here in Ohio who recently passed away, came yeah. to my life in uh, 1996 or so, and he was uh, a real big part of my political maturation. He the one who kind of talked me about working class because he was involved with the unions and the work that, you know, to keep the mills and factories open and whatnot. And he, you know, the one who really kind of taught me about uh, free market capitalism, about uh, the industrialization and how that coincides with mass incarceration. So I was able to, you know, professors, his historians to kind of make those links and to kind of, you know, uh, 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 find the trajectory of that uh, development, you know, because you know, mass incarceration didn't happen in the vacuum. This is an effect of something, you know, but you don't know that if you've been labeled a criminal and, uh, um, and been, you know, housed in one of these places, you don't really know the history because everything is so immediate and urgent inside of here. And so one of the side effects of being put in solitary confinement is that I have the time without having the, you know, because when you're in population, it's difficult to kind of study because you have to work. You, they force you to work. And, and it's just rife with all these gangs and whatnot, and you have to worry about protecting yourself. I mean, a lot of people don't understand that prisons are very, very violent places. Yeah. You know, and a lot of your energy is spent on trying to just protect yourself. The solitary confinement is not like a benefit. It, it, it has challenges that doesn't right. represent in population, you know, um, sensory deprivation and all those things. But, you know, I turned my room, my cell, into a, 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 a classroom, basically, filled it with books <laughs> instead of pain. And I've read extensively 
you know, from people who have been in similar situations, Primo Levy, uh, Victor Franco, you know, people who were in the Holocaust, the Jewish Holocaust and concentration camps and whatnot. And so all those books are here. All those people are here with me. I'm not like in this there by myself alone. I have friends who are alive and friends who are dead, James Baldwin, Richard White. So all these people have contributed to my, uh, uh, my education. Yeah. Right. You have one minute remaining. I'm still here. Um, and hey, Keith, but, you're uh, on a roll. You're, you're doing great. This call is from a correction facility and is subject to monitoring and recording. What do you think about legacy yeah, either way? I mean, legacy, you know, Stout and I spoke a lot about that. Um, legacy is something that will happen whether you are conscious of it or not. You are leaving, leaving the legacy behind. You know, a lot of those people in the civil rights movement, you know, we talk about Martin Luther King, Rosa Parks, so on and so forth. But it was thousands, millions of nameless, faceless people whose name we don't know, we'll never know. Right. And yet those people, by being there, have a legacy. You know, their family knew who they, who they were and what they were doing. And so I'm, I'm aware of um, what I am creating, what I will ultimately leave behind. And um, I'm conscious of, you know, trying to inject as much righteousness into my walk as I possibly can. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Keith, listen, what's your last words to people uh and then, Amy, can you come on also with the information about all the different ways they can reach you? And Because listeners, you know, me and Channing Martinez, we do this show, and we call it uh, organizer-sponsored radio, not listener-sponsored radio. You understand now, you can't listen to Keith Lamar and think he's entertainment. He's an obligation, you know, in the good sense of that. You are obligated to do something to help his life as he's spending his life trying to make your life better. So we're going to come into all the different ways you can help. But before we get to that, Keith, what's your last set of words and thoughts? I mean, you know, I'm someone who lives every day with the awareness of my mortality. I'm on death row. I was speaking to one of my young friends, a young um, lady, 17 years old, the other day, and I was tell I told her, I said, you know, when you were born into this world and discovered that people flew across the sky, had wings and flew across the sky, you would accept that, and you would wait patiently for your wings and for your lessons on flying. And by the time you were 12 years old, you would be flying, and it wouldn't be it wouldn't be an amazing thing. It's only amazing because you can't do it. You know, dinosaurs are only amazing because they are no longer here. And one day we'll no longer be here. And maybe then somebody will say you are amazing. But the fact of the matter, you know, as I pointed out to this young woman, is that you flew here to see me. And yet the only thing that you recall in your journey is the long lines and the frustrations and all these things. You know, one of my favorite poets, mystics, Khalil Gibran, said, if you keep your heart in wonder, of the daily miracles in your life, then your pain would seem no less wondrous than your joy. Well, Keith, that was very beautiful, and I'm sure Khalil Gibran would be very proud of you. 
Um, I don't want to interrupt you anymore because I want to make sure you got the last words in. So you've been listening to Voices from the Front Line to a national movement building show and the amazing voice and mind of Keith Lamar. For those of you who want to really get serious about death penalty fights and prisoners fights, you can work with the Strategy Center, info at thestrategycenter.org. And I'm going to ask Amy Gordea, <laughs> why don't you tell us all the different ways we can help Keith and the movement that you're you're doing to, to let them mm-hmm. know. At, um, okay, if they go to keithlamar.org slash donate, there are many uh, easy ways. We can, you can give by credit card. You can do it through um, Cash App, Venmo, uh, PayPal. It has a mailing address. Um, and we are also a 501c3 organization, so we're a nonprofit. And anybody who wishes to have make a sizable contribution and get a, a letter from us, we're happy to provide that. So the petition, donation, getting you have list, one minute remaining, getting themselves on our email distribution list. They can order condemned on our on the website or go to keithlamar.org slash condemned. Um, and then adding us to social media, we're on, uh, you know, following us on social media. We're on Instagram and Facebook at Justice for Keith Lamar and Twitter at Free Keith Lamar. It's been amazing. Uh, we're going to do all those things, Amy, and we'll be in touch with you. Please do as much as you can. And Keith, And Amy, it's wonderful to work with you. I can't wait to our next conversation. Thank you so much. Take care of yourself. You too, brother. I'm Julian Lamb, engineer at Voices from the Frontlines, and you've been listening to the amazing voice and story of death row prisoner Keith Lamar. In the spirit of this conversation, here is a poem by spoken word artist Eartha Hopkins. This poem was featured in Condemned, a documentary about Keith Lamar's ongoing battle for exoneration and freedom. We hope this poem will motivate you to learn more about Keith's story and to get involved. We cannot allow the state of Ohio to systematically frame and then set out a plan to execute Keith Lamar. That is unacceptable. We got 99 problems. Why revolutions ain't one? And revolutions ain't one with passive-aggressive slave mentalities that would rather kill the soul than the body. Ain't nobody handing out subsidies for freedom, so lucky for y'all, I'll pay with my life. Matter of fact, tell them to hang my corpse so high that the next generation sees stars of my courage in the sky. I live like I got black gods and goddesses on my side with Nat Turner and Marcus Garvey in these bloodlines. Who's to blame? For our neighborhood's demise, if we refuse to get up and fight, we move faster. But Jay-Z, 16 bars, when 16 of our own brothers are encaged behind 16 bars. Mass incarceration is just the reincarnation of chattel slavery, but we the new slaves. And new slaves love new chains and pushing new whips that leave tread marks on the membrane. It's a shame how good and how bad it feels to be a new and this country got so many ills, but it's illegal for a nigga to feel. And this country, so we don't shed tears when bright futures get Emmett And this country, 
how much of our blood needs to spill in this country. So I'm looking for soldiers, cause ain't no middle ground on this war field in this country. And I know you're looking at me wondering like, how I still got dreams, like how my aspirations ain't vanished into thin air with the dope you unveiled in my neighborhoods. But I want you to hear me and hear me clearly when I say yes, I'm still dreaming. And even as I watch former kings and queens dance on my corner for green while street entrepreneurs slang them things to thrive in your diabolical trickle down system where insane is sane for survival. My pulse pumps prosperity, peace, war and revolution. You are now watching the evolution of a supreme being, a queen, hailing from the crevices, cricks, and crevices of ancient comedic hieroglyphics, an ordained orator. And my words are expensive if you're lucky. I may let you bid on my memories. If you're lucky, I may place a piece of mind on sale. No wonder I've always been a lover of language. This body of mine ever so gently meandering through melodic rhythms of diction that humdrum on the spirits of the restless, a heretic for the easily forgettable with poetic prophecies that lie in the build up of phonetics. If you were looking for me, my writing has always been on the wall. Well, this is Eric Mann. So you're on Voices from the Front Lines, your national movement building show, Wake Up. And smell the revolution. I mean, and you can't have a more amazing morning than this. So I want to talk to you at the end about Voices from the Frontlines as an organizing project and the help that we need from you. The short of it to start with is we need letters from you to me, Eric at Voices from the Frontlines, to let us know that you're out there. We've been doing what we call call and response. I mean, the show that you just heard today, the beautiful voice of Julian Lamb and then of Eartha and then, of course, of Keith and then of Amy and Channing. So much work goes into the show, all volunteer, I'm happy to say. But sometimes I ask for people to please write me at Eric at Voices from the Frontlines and very frankly, very little comes back. And that is depressing given how much energy we put out into the earth and how much energy Keith is putting into the earth and Eartha and everybody. We work on this show hours and hours. Uh, Julian must have spent, oh, two, three, four hours just taking the 55-minute conversation and editing it down to 24. And he and I worked another hour or two back and forth on it. We love this show. That's not the question. We love KPFK. But do you love us back? See, right after the show, I got to call Amy again, and then we're going to call Keith, and we're going to do everything we can, as Julian said, to get this brother off death row to not be executed on November 16th. But how much do you give a damn? I'm not sure you do. I said this is not entertainment. This is obligation. So where's your obligation? We need letters that say, hey, Eric, my name is so-and-so. I listen to voices regularly. I want to help. First, I want the station to know that, yes, when you get up and do the 8 a.m. show, which we're really happy to have, I was up there listening with you. Uh, you know, I go to Gelson's. Yes, I do. And, and one of the great checkers there named Tim says, oh my God, I 
so happy you moved to 8 a.m. because I've been listening. I love the show about the GIs and about the vets, and I love the show about Keith Lamar. And I said, well, please write me a letter. Then I go down, you know, and of course, uh, Desmond Howard, the uh, former Heisman Trophy winner and friend of Keith's, uh, uh, called in and to Amy and said, I love the show and I'm listening to the show. We know people listening all over the country. But about five years ago, I said to people that we need a vote of confidence in voices. I need to know you're out there and I want to be able to show uh, the general manager and other people here who have taken a, you know, encouragement of us to get us on the EDM slot that people want us there. And please write to me at Eric at Voices from the Frontlines because we're trying to organize this show to get it out there. I need to know that you support the show and that you care about what we're doing out here. So, you know, we push you very hard. Uh, one more thing I just realized is that, you know, uh, as everybody knows, I'm a Jew from Brooklyn who's worked in the black community most of my life. I mainly work in South Central Los Angeles. I don't see that many white people except members of my own family. And then so many times when I'm in South Central, I'll be talking to somebody and say, wait, I've heard that voice before. Wait, are you, are you on voice? Wait, are you Eric? And I said, yeah. Other times I'll say I'm Eric from Voices from the Frontlines. And they go, I absolutely love your show. I listen to it all the time. So we know, especially in the black community, where we've placed a very high priority. Please write to let us know that you're listening, Eric at Voices from the Frontlines, and I'll show it to Channing Martinez and to Julian Lamb, who are the co-producers. Channing is often our voice from the Frontlines. But the fact that there are two black men producing this show, playing a role in this show, all these things should matter to you. Now, we're going to do a fund drive next week and I know a lot of you actually are great on the fun drive, which shows us that you're out there. But if it matters to you, you need to know it matters to me that I need to know a real human being with a real name and a real institutional affiliation is listening. So once again, we need letters of support, letters of acknowledgement to Eric at VoicesFromTheFrontlines.com. I get some I need a lot more, okay? Because Voices from the Frontlines to just today was trying to deal with the life of Tyree Nichols, was trying to deal with the issue of saving the Palestinian people from the Israeli genocidal state and Benjamin Netanyahu, trying to expose the relationship between the white settler state in Israel and the white settler state in the United States. Every week, we bring on people who are doing something. For Keith to say, my friends are both living and dead. For Keith to say, I am aware of my own mortality every day because I'm facing a possible death sentence is rather incredible. So if you were given that gift, the most important thing is go to keithlamar.org and find all the different ways to help. And to write to Eric at VoicesFromTheFrontlines.com and say, I want to be part of the Voices family. 
You can also register on the show at VoicesFromTheFrontlines.com. It's an amazing website, again, put together by Channing and Julian. So what's the point of life if you don't act? What's the point of life if you don't do something good? So this morning, I get up to do something good for you. The least you could do, as they would say, is write me at Eric at VoicesFromTheFrontlines.com and write to Keith at KeithLamar.org. So with that, Gary, we'll, we'll take it out. Uh, Nina Simone does it my way. And she always does it my way, and we do it our way. Thanks to everybody for listening this morning. I hope you like the singing along with the Ronettes. We'll see you next Tuesday at 8. Take very good care of yourselves. All power to the people. The final Friends, I'll say it clear and state my case of which I'm certain I've lived a life that's full of travel each and every highway and more, much more than this. I've had a few, but then again, too few to mention. This is KPFK, The Michael Slade Show. There's something that you keep bringing up in your book that really struck me, that fascism seeks to replace truth by power, and that there's a very particular method to doing that. Let's talk about that. So truth balances out loyalty. If we recognize the truth, if we recognize facts, so I don't mean like a deep truth, so people think that the Russian language makes a distinction between deep truth and truth, so that's why that covers propaganda. You lie, but you lie to reveal a deeper Michael Slate Show, Friday mornings at 10. Democratic culture requires that people are humiliated when they lie about ordinary facts. This is KPFK. This is KPFK. We need this Poor People's Campaign. Sojourner Truth with Margaret Prescott. We need the voices of the poor. Change just doesn't come from the top down. That's why Donald Trump and them are telling us, don't drink that Kool-Aid. It comes from the bottom up. And without people at the bottom, whether it's undocumented immigrants, they need the resources. Sojourner Truth with Margaret Prescott. Tuesday through Friday mornings at 7. This is KPFK. Hey, I'm Tom Nixon. Patrick Milligan. Art Podell. Mark Humphrey. Mary Catherine Alden. We host the Saturday morning music show, Roots Music and Beyond. And we've moved, but not far. Join us at our new time, Saturday mornings, 7 to 9.